This is Luke Gygax. Having trouble with the antithesis of wheel? Don't worry, you've come to the right place. You're listening to Save or Die. You passed through the door to find a small room filled with gold and jewels and a red dragon. He starts to breathe. Save or die! Save or Die Podcast, a podcast about classic Dungeons and Dragons. Bring on your goblin holes and band of oaks, hawking zombies and bows. And oh no, no, troll, don't slow me down, oh no. Don't dig up Hola, everybody. Welcome to Save or Die, number 113. <laughs> I'm sure that's an important number to somebody somewhere, but... 113, we're going to go with it. Hooray! It means nobody died since 112. <laughs> always a good thing. And uh, speaking of which, with you is always is DM Mike, whom none of you should ever suspect might actually be a doppelganger in disguise. <laughs> also with me is DM Jim. Let's just say for the sake of argument that I'm wearing pants today. Woo-hoo. Sure, sure. And not looking for a nuclear reactor he can use to increase his magical ability. But at what cost, Mike? At what cost? What cost? Uh, becoming Scottish, apparently. And <laughs> the magic user who has never once cast Feeble Mind on herself, DM Liz. That's right. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> yeah, there's a, a little white dwarf um, basic adventure called Beacon and Enon Tor. And you're supposedly going to this tower to find out what happened to the wizard there. And you find out he actually cast in, accidentally cast Feeble Mind on himself. And when I ran Liz and some others through that, Liz is, who was, of course, running the magic user. <laughs> just not be quiet about it. Just, it's like, he did what? It's like, how do you manage that? <laughs> well, he had to haggle. Takes a special kind of of mage to be able to accomplish that. You know, I've thrown fireball at my feet, but I've never done that. (laughs) Indeed. And as you can probably guess by the discussion of magic and magic users, we are dealing with Gazetteer number three, Principalities of Glantry. (laughs) But first... Yes? (laughs) I was leaving an empty gap there for the... that, oh, that wasn't suspenseful. That was bumper gap. Get down, get down, get down, get down. The Save or Die email hot tub time machine. Come here, you scrumptious little beauty. Here I go once again with the email. Every week I hope that it's from a female. Oh, man. Emails. <laughs> Emails. <laughs> Are you sure you didn't cast people? <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. Not on me. <laughs> <laughs> Although with me, it'd probably be feeble 
taste or something or feeble mm. de- common decency. Anyway, do if, we have emails? If you cast feeble mind on yourself, how would you know? How indeed? I don't think you would. I think everyone else would know. Anyway, we do have and, emails. We really cool. do. And if y'all are ready, I will read those emails. Please do. All right. Well, our first email is from Greg McKenzie. And Greg writes, Greetings, fellow DMs from the Project on the Borderlands. Dun, dun, dun. Once again, we have something fun to offer, something which will undoubtedly appeal to DM Liz. Go bald. Rumors on oh. the Borderlands. There you go. That was my next guest. Yes. <laughs> Well, one of the rumors could be kobolds, so you get everything in there. True, true. The gossiping fishwives, the old man at the tavern, Ooh. and the blind beggar Oi! have all heard the rumors and retold them. Fishermen either affirm or doubt them, and the Castellan's soldiers share them over a pint of bitter. For rumors entertain and amuse, and in them sometimes may even be found a grain of truth. The DM may decide if any of the rumors of the Borderlands are true or not. Check them out at link, which we will give in the show notes. (laughs) (laughs) As always, we welcome contributions to the project on the Borderlands. So if you or any of your (laughs) listeners care to contribute, hop on over to Briark. What? Dramatic email. We're going to do that all episode? it, it was. Well, I, I I really like Project on the Borderlands, even though I personally have not contributed to it, but yeah, it's really it. cool, and so I just want to show that coolness off with... Don't be like us, listeners. Submit to Project on the Borderlands. That's right. <laughs> well, thanks, Greg. We'll <laughs> hopefully try to get some people your direction. It may not be us, darn it. <sighs> No, before the next, before one fourteen, I am going to submit something there. I'm making this vow. All right. All right. I didn't say I'd submit something good. I said <laughs> something. Oh, oh, they get your cast offs. <laughs> I see. I see how you are. Hey, when you run one of those things, every little bit helps. I had a guest post on Tinkar's Tavern this past week, and I'm just like, I hope he runs it. I hope he runs it. And he's like, ah, contributions. <laughs> one I don't have to write. <laughs> dun dun dun. So anyway. Anyway, next email. Our next email is from FD. Not Jeff D, but FD. <laughs> and F, who apparently is actually named Fred, um, F writes I've been listening to your podcast from Adventure One. Wow. I'm into the, I'm into the <laughs> mid 20s now. I currently play 2E, but cut my teeth on the black box in the 90s. I'm hoping you'll have reviewed the black box by the time I get to the current adventures, but if not, it would be awesome to hear you review it. In any event, Vince's pumpkin-headed satyrs have become a demon in my 2E game, T1 through 4, Temple of Elemental Evil. They're a really great monster, and they freak my players out. I really enjoy the show. Keep it up. Fred. Thanks, Fred. You know, I always thought it would be fun to have bugbears... But instead of the monster manual description of them, have the original brown book one. Oh, with the pumpkin? Yeah, yeah, yeah. the giant bear with the pumpkin, flaming pumpkin head. <laughs> Somewhere I've seen minis of those. That would be awesome. I would buy those, even though we've got eight trillion minis 
and we don't use them, but we have them. I got to tell you, my current financial status is kind of broke, but if I get some money, I'd love to review the black box just as an excuse to go buy a copy because I've never even seen it. I have the rule book I picked up somewhere. Not the box, so it doesn't have the adventure or anything with it. I have read the rule book. One, in a way, it was kind of set up to be the intro to eventually getting into the rules cyclopedia. Um, kind of like Holmes was allegedly for AD and D. Well, in pictures, it, I mean, I've seen pictures on the internet. It looks like a cross between the basic set and the board game dungeon. Yeah, I think there is a lot of uh, you know uh, swag in there as far as maps and counters and whatnot. Um, I will say it goes up to um, level five. Which I think which is, is a good range. I was going to say, that's better than a lot of the other basic Any of sets. the other basics. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Mikey Mason wouldn't necessarily rate it at 1. <laughs> Maybe not. 1 dragon. 1.5. 1.632. So, I'm sure it'll get into Attack of the Clones or just general review, game reviewing sooner or later. So, fingers crossed. Every edition is somebody's first. Every edition is sacred. See, that's that, that's me trying to get a kinder, gentler Jim, DM Jim going before we get into another gazetteer. <laughs> you have been warned, listeners. Next email? Next email from James V. West. JV. And Ma- he writes, hello, Sodders. Regarding alignment, my intro to games was basic. In basic, the bad monsters are chaotic and the good ones are lawful. So, my usage of three-point alignment has always been based on that observation. In Moldvay basic, the language is pretty explicit, describing law as good and chaos as evil. I actually prefer this. It keeps things nice and simple. Yeah, well, you're all wrong. I read lawful not so much as a character trait, but as an attitude toward the value of life. Lawful means you give a damn about living things. Chaos means you only give a damn about one life, yours, and perhaps those who amuse you. (laughs) I really love BFRPG, too. Nice to see it covered. Excellent game, and it was good to hear the creator discussing it. Until next save, J.V. West. Thanks, J.V. And thanks for your pithy and eloquent um, defense of the three-point alignment system. And wrong! <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, I, I, JV and I are friends, and we both play a lot of DCC. Obligatory taco reference already in the podcast. But uh, I, I have come around to three-point alignment system if you just take good, the words good and evil out of your game entirely. Mm-hmm. More, more of the Moorcock thing. Because really... Both in uh, uh, game setting theory and in principle, when you have flesh and blood players at your table, everybody's out for themselves, however they dress it up, ethically. Well, let me appendix in on you for a moment. I prefer running it like um, Three Hearts and Three Lions by Paul Anderson. Hmm. It's like law tended to be good, chaos tended to be evil, but there were opposites in the same area and i noticed jv didn't mention neutral i mean because neutrality i would think would be the ultimate in self you know is it good for me Hmm. but again i guess that's the advantage of the three alignment system the dm can interpret it 
in a whole lot more ways than with nine alignment. <sighs> alignment, the source of never-ending topic discussion. <laughs> yeah. Now, about paladins being lawful good, or demi-human level limits. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because we don't have enough controversy on this show. That's right. All right. Any more emails? All right. Well, our last email for today is... For today. For today. It is not our last email, but it's our last one for today. And it was written by Gramp Stoolshed. Woohoo! Oh, he just liked the Savor Die Facebook page today. Oh, cool. Awesome. Says, greetings, Southern Sodcasters. Yeehaw! Any intention of doing anything about the Princess Ark? What about the Poor Wizard's Almanacs? The Hollow World? Did you ever do an interview with Bruce Hurd that I missed? I am really looking forward to when you cover the Theatus Alphacia boxed set. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. Anyway, um, I hope you stretch it out over two or three episodes. My biggest excitement is going to be the Principalities of Glantry. <laughs> that was my all-time favorite gazetteer and possibly my all-time favorite role-playing supplement. Well, this has all the makings of your lucky day. Yeah. Take care and stay out of trouble. Signing off from the North Woods, Gramps. Thanks, Gramps. And to answer in order. <laughs> oh, in order. <laughs> well, in relative. What was the first question again? Princess uh, Ark. Yes. Do we Princess have any Ark. intention of doing anything um, about Princess Ark? Not at the moment, but we will put in the show notes, there's a guy on SoundCloud who is doing dramatic readings of Hurd's Voyage of the Princess Ark named Ted Meister that we will put a link to on the notes for those of you who want a audio version of Princess Ark to enjoy. Um, I've only listened to the first one. Um, how many are out by now, do you know? I don't know. I know he was cranking them fairly quick, though. So I can't, I don't know exactly, but there's a few. Hmm. Um, Poor Wizard's Almanacs and Hollow World will get to eventually, inevitably. Um, Some, sometime between now and a dirt nap. <laughs> yeah, something like that. And Principalities of Glantry, well, here we go, more or less. And we did do an interview with Bruce Hurd. Uh, that was episode 47. Oh, yeah. Vince did it. I heard that. Yeah. So, uh, so sh- shortly before he left the show, Vince, so, not Bruce Hurd. <laughs> so, yes, there is a Bruce interview. So go to episode 47. If you haven't already found it by now, download it, and you can, you can hear all about Bruce. Enjoy. Names but. cause confusion. Mind if we just call you Bruce? <laughs> <laughs> so, if anyone wanted to write to say what they thought of that episode interview or any others, where would they write? Liz? Saverdiepodcast uh, at gmail.com. Woo! Or send a voicemail to 940 536 <laughs> that was you, just you, just, you, you just like saying three sod. <laughs> three sod. That, that was just for you because you say you missed them. Aw, did did I say I missed them? Yeah, I'm. Well, I'm sure you said something about it. I oh. chose to interpret it as missed them. Oh, okay. <laughs> and before we head into the gazetteer, any announcements? I've got a couple. So, 
I do have an announcement. Okay. Um, over at goodman-games.com, a new tournament PDF download adventure has appeared. Uh, it's a level zero tournament called Death by Nexus, and it's available now for free download. And I deemed it announcement worthy since I'm one of the co-writers and the uh, publication version of the adventure was laid out by DM Liz. That's right. DM so if you don't get a copy, Liz. if you don't get a copy, you hate us. <laughs> and I only I only co-wrote it. There are lots of better writers than me that are also in there. Get a copy today. Well, I guess I will make an announcement. Um, DM Mike and I will both be at the Tyler Rose City Comic Con coming up in October. Um, it will be the weekend before Halloween. I don't remember the exact days that that runs, but it's like the 23rd through the 25th, something like that. Um, so we will be there. If any of you guys are in the East Texas area, um, stop on by the conventions at the um, fairgrounds in Tyler, and we'll be there for the whole weekend. Mike well, will be running a session of Victorious at some point. Oh, see, now you're talking. And <laughs> Hopefully, I might work in a Holmes Basic game, too. All right. Well, I'd just like to talk about uh, a podcast that was uh, sent in to us to let us know about called Iron Realm. It is a actual play podcast, but it's a solo. Hmm. The guy's... Uh, the guy is running all these characters and he's starting them all at first level and he is basically running solo encounters and stuff. His goal is to get him up to level 36. Totally <laughs> with solo encounters. Yep. <laughs> I, I salute him. I, I don't know if he'll make it. I wish him the best, but that's you know, I wanted to make sure I will put a link to it in the show notes. And let me state specifically it is not safe for work. It's right there on the top of the page, so don't listen to it with your kids around. I'm well, not sure you know, why, since he's the only one there, but... Well, you're, you're killing <laughs> yeah. your own characters. You're bound to cuss a little. Well, yeah, you'd think. So, But anyway, there's that, and uh, I think that's pretty much it. We'll go into some announcements and then jump right into the glantry. Teleport in. Well, yeah. Are you enjoying the show you're listening to right now? Want to help support the show? Why not head over to the Patreon site, patreon.com slash WGP. That's patreon.com slash WGP. And help support the network for as little as $1.50 a month. That's right, $1.50 a month goes a long way. Thank you. Thopus the Gnome here. The Save or Die podcast is brought to you in part by a more than generous grant from me. <clears throat> Don't you mean a generous grant by Lesser Gnome Games? Same thing. I pretty much run the joint. And this one too now, come to think of it. Here. Go finish the commercial for me, Knave. You got it. Lesser Gnome Games and Miniatures. Available at RPGnow.com, LesserGnome.com, or at a friendly local game store near you. Five, four, three, two, 
Top five for Glantry as we teleport our pass wall into this list. So. So. Without getting into stuff that we'll talk about in Products of Your Imagination, like format, layout, da-da-da-da-da, what did y'all think of it? Initial reactions. Uh, my initial reaction is fairly similar to the reaction I had for Karamikos. There were a lot of things about the setting that I personally liked and would want to possibly try to import into, you know, a game of my own. I don't think that I would use the entire setting whole cloth. I'd be taking stuff out and putting different things in. Okay. Jim? Well, um, I have decided, in the spirit of every edition is somebody's first, and every product we review is somebody's favorite, I'm going to completely recuse myself as best I can for this episode and only talk about the parts I liked and stay positive. Hippie. So, <laughs> well, well, it's early yet. We'll see how far I get. That's just that's just the goal. Those are the goalposts. Um, so uh, in in general, it's uh, I mean Bruce Hurd wrote it, so impeccable uh, pedigree, and it is of course wonderfully written in style. Um, it's got an awesome Clyde Caldwell cover. You can't ask for any better, and wonderful photography and uh, layout as usual with the gazetteers by Dave Sutherland and uh, illustrations and photography by Dennis Koth. All of which are just best of class, particularly for 1987. Okay. I like this. I I think this so far is my favorite gazetteer, which I was kind of surprised because normally I'm not a big gonzo person. And, uh, I mean, a little is fun, but, you know, we built our whole town over a nuclear reactor. See, that was the most awesome part. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the interior and behavior in the city of Glantry reminded me a lot of City State of the World Emperor from Judges Guild. Hmm. Which, you know, especially with the emphasis on magics and bloodlines and such. Um, it also kind of had an Ars Magica feel, a game I really haven't played, but I've read some of. Um, you know, obviously, this is the place for magic users or elves. You're gonna, you're gonna rock here. I'd and so I'd forgotten all about Ars Magica. I have that tarot deck. Oh, that's cool. All right. Well, let's go for number five then, Liz. Okay. Um, I guess my number five would be. Um, I really in- liked how they tied in uh, Glantry with Blackmore. Um, granted, as you know, you and I talked about earlier, it's not the OD&D Blackmore. It's the, you know, basic expert version of Blackmore, but... In the star version, right? Yeah, but you could take this and connect it to the OD&D Blackmore, I think, you know, saying this is in a future of the Blackmore slash Greyhawk realm, which if I was going to do this, I probably would put it in that version, you know, of the worlds rather than the Mistara world. Um, so suddenly it turns out the egg of Coot was a nuclear power plant. Yeah, why not? You know, <laughs> Who knew? Um, so I like the mention of Blackmore because it gives you the out of putting it into your OD&D 
Blackmore universe if you want to. Mm-hmm. Okay. Jim? That's, Liz, that was a really interesting way of presenting it because uh, there's a suggestion within this of a possible adventure hook that involves time travel to going back to those days. So that's kind of interesting. Um, my number five is just uh, who kit, who doesn't love the genre mashing of an entire country that's built on what was the star engine of a crash spaceship in which people, aliens, landed and scattered and interbred with the native population. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a sucker for that kind of genre mashing, and that was the uh, single most intriguing aspect of this uh, campaign setting to me. The whole setup that it's 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 a it's it's a nuclear reactor that they threw spells at and turned into a source of power. Mm-hmm. I mean, I may have written it a little differently personally, but the the basic conceit is genius. Oh, I, I should have said spoilers before I said all that, shouldn't I? <laughs> yeah. If you're if, if you're going to play in this principality, spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> if they if they download this episode and not realize there's going to be spoilers since the whole episode is over the product, they should. Well, I know in the past we've tried to not give away the big thing, but twenty eight years yeah old for, for some, yeah, for some of these older ones, it's kind of you know you're you're not going to have an awful lot of people who already don't know about it that that mm-hmm. mysterious rotting disease you never get better from radiation poisoning spoiler That's right <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, my five would be. I know in Karamikos especially, they tried to basically plant the various B modules into certain locations, Mm -hmm. some of which were cool. Others I felt were kind of shoehorned. I think in this one, in Principalities of Glantry, they were able to fit Castle Amber and the Ambervilles in fairly well and that's no small feat if you've ever read or played through castle amber remind me those were the da series uh no the x x2 X. sorry it, it kind of was loosely placed on uh Zelazny's amber series gotcha but also had some imports say from minaria of divine right fame etc cetera, etc cetera. so i thought that was really cool so four liz Okay. Um, well, since I said earlier that you know I wouldn't want to use this completely whole cloth, um, I would say that the just passing through approach for adventures that they give later on, yeah, you know, they give you several different ideas of how you can use you know Glantry in a campaign setting, and one of the ideas is that rather than have your entire campaign, you know, in the principalities, you know, that your characters are just passing through and so you don't have to be, you know, shoehorned in by all of the stuff that's in the in the supplement. Um, Which players could use for their advantage. Are you really sick of that guy who keeps showing up at your game playing the holier-than-thou cleric? Just take him to Galantry. <laughs> That'll be the end of him. <laughs> and it yeah. was the best game ever. <laughs> <laughs> best game ever. And then we sold him for a slave. <laughs> <laughs> and he said he was never going to play with us again. So the Nosferatu lords. But anyway. <laughs> then he <yeah>. came back. <laughs> I think, actually, 
setting a campaign in Glantry, I mean, they kind of give some threads of obviously they're getting lots of hires by wizards to go f- magic users to find blah, blah, and blah in tombs or crypts or whatever. But I really think as a campaign setting, it would probably only work if you had a if you intended one or more of the PCs to be wizards that are going to go the whole domain route. Well, you'd have to tell your... I think you would have to let your players know beforehand something. Because otherwise, if you didn't tell them that this was where your next campaign was going to be centered in, and then, you know, Jeff decides to roll up a dwarf... (laughs) <laughs> and then he gets upset because no one told him that his dwarf character was going to be considered a talking lab rat by <laughs> most of the citizens of the city. Oh, but they're glad to see him because they need yeah, they're, lab rats. They're, they're very glad to see him, yes. But you know, but then your player gets pissed off. Said, so, "Well, if I'd known that this was what the campaign was going to be about, I wouldn't have rolled up a dwarf." So yeah, but again, you know, things like that or the fact that the nobility are all magic users I, to me that would be even if you're not native to this era area obviously the other parts of Mistara or wherever you set this in that would be common knowledge I would think yeah I mean I think I think one of the possible problems with using the city as your main campaign setting would be you know unless this was something you wanted to experiment with you're going to have pretty much a party primarily based of elves and magic users mm-hmm. because very few players are going to want to play something where you're looked upon as virtually a peasant you know by most of the people in the city and there's a lot of political intrigue and stuff that's built into the setting which yeah, also well, may not be fun for people depending on how they like to play right well like any of them it's do you enjoy the flavor mm-hmm. and that's going to just you know go in with eyes open and don't don't really screw over your players P- DMs. <laughs> that can, I mean, you'd have to, you're absolutely correct. You'd have to set up for it because I mean nobody <laughs> likes playing a magic user better than me, but I need my meat shields out in front of me too. I mean, I'm okay. sorry, my other party members, <laughs> my <laughs> valued party members. <laughs> so what's your for, Jim? Um, my four is the great school of magic. Um, I don't, in my camp campaigns, it's a personal choice that there's no such thing as that, that the magic should be strange and hard to find and, and, and more vancian. But if you were going to have a giant college of magic, this is a whole set of rules. I mean, very detailed, almost crunchy about how to actually have one of those and run it. And if you wanted to just pick it up and drop it to your campaign, here's everything you need. You could set a campaign in the place, and there were some really uh, nice genius touches. Uh, I mean, I, I'm not going to go into the whole everything, all the rules they have, but there were like even little adventure hooks, like you could play a campaign of children, you know, six, mm. seven-year-old PCs that have just come to the school of magic, and what the, you know, their their adventures they could have missing class and stuff. And this is like ten years before Harry Potter. So yeah, I mean, if you want to run, tell- I, I was just going to suggest that if you want to run a campaign for you know, like your sons and daughters or your grandkids, there you go. Except I was I, like I mentioned to Liz when I read that. My first comment was Hogwarts from hell. Because it's got some really nasty things that can occur to you while you're at that school. 
So if you're gonna run it, if you're gonna run it for kids, you probably want to PG it up a bit. Yeah. Quite quite frankly, there's a lot of really dangerous crap at Hogwarts too. That you know, if you're just looking at the the stories, you know, completely, you know, coolly and analytically. There is no way that there should be eleven-year-old children at this place. Well, that's kind of yeah, but yeah, but on the other hand, Crookshanks isn't going to try to get you to get sell your soul. Yeah, but that could really be fun, Mike, especially for kids, because it's kind of it as I was reading, it was kind of a cross between Hogwarts and a Jedi Academy, where they have like ten-year-old Jedi's who, you know, as soon as somebody goes to the dark side. Saver Die Podcast does not approve or condone any of the opinions held by DM Jack <laughs> involving your kids. <laughs> Revenge of the Sith was PG. Why did you kill Billy? He was I going w- to the dark side. I don't think he was. <laughs> <laughs> well, he looked like he a really horde. Okay. My four. Again, this is more just a an Easter egg almost in the book, but there's a bit of fiction there involving Glantry Vice. <laughs> with, Cue with the magic music. <laughs> missile fireball-y type wands and gondola chases and just... Speed I mean, I was reading that and I heard this. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Seeing Don Johnson with a magic wand, you know, it's just... That was, that was amusing. I did like that little bit of fiction. Mike, were you ever were you old enough to have the little super skinny tie and your suit sleeves pushed up? No. No. Well, I was young enough, but I couldn't afford it, so you know. You didn't miss anything. Okay. <laughs> uh, three, Liz. Three. Yay. Um okay, number three. Uh, they've got a section towards the back, and this is where you're getting into the magic school, etc. Um, they have a whole section for creating spells and magical items, and how you would actually go about per- conducting research. Um, oh, see, which, there you go, stealing. Ah, sorry. <laughs> but it was super cool, though, wasn't it? <laughs> I, a very decent uh, classic D&D substitute for the section in the Dungeon Master's Guide. Because mm-hmm. because uh, a more complex and richer system than is in the DMG, would you say that's fair? I would say that is fair. Okay. But yeah, and they even talk about feeble mind, <laughs> 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 tying into our story from earlier in the episode. <laughs> okay, Jim. Oh well, let's see. My number three just got snatched, but I came with extras. So, uh, of course, there are. You know, copious rules for all the factions and noble houses and Glantry and all the court intrigue. And um, I just watched the Doctor Who episode, Androids of Terror. So I, I was like in that groove where I was uh, pretty appreciative of that. But I, I just love that these noble houses that are, of course, to be a noble, to be an aristocracy, you have to be a magic user. So they're all run by magic users. But it's not just magic users. There's lycanthropes and vampires and a Prince McGregor who's apparently, from his illustration, a Scottish lich. So you know that's one angry dude right there. (laughs) Right, I'll do you for that one. (laughs) I hate all life. Ah, so envy your ability to do that accent. I wish I could do it. (laughs) And and one of the the goals of the noble houses is to 
what the Brotherhood of the Radiance? Is that my saying that right? Yeah. Is yeah. to get in there and figure out how to use the Radiance to achieve immortality. And then one of the houses is ruled by a lich who doesn't really care because he's already got him. He's ostensibly yeah. immortal already. So he's like, nah. <laughs> it's eh, like, whatever. <laughs> so that's kind of cool. I mean, you know, if you're going to get killed by something, it should at least be a noble Scottish lich. Or, or the, the, the uh, Prince Vosliny, who's the vampire head of the house. But, you know, you know, he really should wear something besides a bow tie tuxedo and a little cape with a collar. Because that gives it away, right? As soon as you see him. The illustration was awesome. <laughs> I don't know why everyone is always staring at me. <laughs> it's accent-a-rama. What? Something on my teeth? What? <laughs> ah, Mike and Shuren, you be having a number three, too. <laughs> Uh, my third is, and you know, I'm pretty, I'm almost certain this is going to play throughout all the gazetteers, but it's basically taking a medieval or ancient culture to be the background for said territory. And this one is obviously the Venetian Republic under the Doges. Ah. Even, even to the point of Glantry, you usually get around by gondolas. Because it's half-flooded. So, I liked that bit. And I think, kind of playing off what y'all were saying earlier, they certainly got in the various houses, the treachery, the backstabbing. Machiavelli would love this place. (laughs) If you like that sort of diplomatic... If you want to play a classic game of House of Cards, this could be it. And a political campaign... A lot of campaigns hit that phase. This would be ideal for that. Yeah. When you get to a certain level where killing the dragon's no more challenge. Mm-hmm. So, that's my choice. Uh, two? We're shooting through these. Yeah, we're kind of going pretty fast. <laughs> um, well, my number two, the various factions. Some of them have some really bizarre names and i i gotta admit you know i'm reading through some of the different little secret guilds and stuff and it's almost like the illuminati card game (laughs) you know you've got these weird little groups you know it's like and then you've got the boy scouts and (laughs) the society for creative anarchism yeah you know and some of these some of these groups are very tongue-in-cheek with their names you know the united artists guild for the actors and the (laughs) tumblers and everything and so I, I do think that while writing this, um, you know, in some ways, you know, a lot of this, the stuff that goes on is very serious. You know, you've got the infighting, you've got, you know, you have to be careful of yourself, etc. But, you know, there's a lot of tongue-in-cheek stuff stuck in there, too, that you can either use or, you know, not as you wish. But it, it kind of breaks up the monotony of, oh my god, this place is so dangerous and everybody hates you, you know, and then you've got these little things just stuck in there to, you know, make you, make you smile. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's like a subtle gonzo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, Jim. Oh, back to me already. I'm sorry. I was, That's what I, I mean, we're shooting through these. I got, I was actually listening to what Liz said and I forgot to keep track of where we were. Yeah, no, one ever listens, no one ever listens to what Liz says. <laughs> no, What's that, wrong with you? That sounds like I don't listen. I, I didn't mean it that way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm so very tired. Uh, 
I enjoyed the idea, big spoilers coming, that uh, generations of magic users pounding on this uh, nuclear starship engine to create the radiance is gradually having the side effect of depleting the entire prime material plane world of its magic. And there are very crunchy, I would have loved it when I was 18 years old, rules for actually tracking that, even Mm -hmm. to the extent of, you know, considering player actions as they ramp up through this thing. Because, I mean, you could, there are rules, I mean, there's something crazy about 36 level, you know, so you could play here if you wanted to, a campaign a long time. And that's that's one of the uh, archetypal um, campaign setting things, and my uh, brother did it. My brother based his initial AD and D campaign on uh, another fine myth, and that's how the campaign started. There were assassins running around, murdering every magic user they could find to try increase the amount of magic that was available to uh, Istvan, the character in the book. Mm-hmm. So the and 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 very specific, you know, tables for very calculations for very specific effects about okay, the magic in the world's declining. What does that mean? Well, it starts out, you know, one day a year on the equinox, no spells go off. That'd get your attention. Sort of like yeah. a government shutdown. Yeah. <laughs> so, nice little through line for the campaign. Yeah, and it could it could also be something very intriguing to base a campaign on, you know. Magic is starting to not work. Why? You have to figure it out. Well, I mean, you know, a tip, the typical campaigns we've all played in, what's eventually mm-hmm. going to happen? The player characters are going to try and topple the government, you know, right? <laughs> so there's a reason for them to want to do that. Yes. Besides, not just because a lot of them are evil. You know, something besides XPs and gold. You mean there's more? <laughs> yeah, I hear. I don't know. Rumor has it, but I don't believe it. Anyway... Well, my number two is I normally am not a big fan of Shudder prestige classes. But I kind of liked the way they split up the various magic users in circles Mm -hmm. and those fields like alchemy, draconomy, um, elemental masters – with apologies to Mercedes Lackey, um, crypto what cryptogra- cryptomancers, cryptomancers, uh, necromancers, of course, and how you had spells or abilities that come with each of the circles, and it was very reminiscent of the Brown Book D and D, and I guess later in AD and D first edition of the monks and druids, right because on. at the at the fifth circle, there's only one, and you only get up there by basically facing him off in a duel and winning. Um, with who various, uh, hmm? I was going to say, who doesn't love a spell duel? <laughs> yeah, and it makes a bit more sense than the you know, well, druids we love nature, but there can only be one of us, so so you know, prepare to fight or die. So I like the whole. Beyond Thunderdome feel to it. But I've got a question uh, that's related to what you just shared for your number two, and I meant to mention it back when I was talking about the School of Magic. What do you think the odds are that Jolly Blackburn owned this in 1987? Because the whole thing reminded me a great deal of the fictional uh, College of Sequestered Mages, COSM, in Knights of the Dinner Table. (laughs) You know, the little organization Brian's uh, Lotus Mages all belong to? All belong to, yeah. Yeah, I think there's a... Or try to belong to, sorry. Yeah. 
I, I it would not surprise me at all if Jolly used this back in the day, or always wanted to, but wasn't able to, and now he kind of does in Knights of the Dinner Table. So perhaps if he's oh, yeah. listening, he can write in and tell us. Yeah. And of course he is listening. <laughs> but uh, right. all that. Or I can get on Facebook five minutes after we're done and pester him. <laughs> well, I uh, like you, Jim. I tend to prefer the learning of magic in my campaign worlds. Is you find a master or mistress to learn under until your first level or whatever, and then you go out into the world and sink or swim. I've never been a big Hogwarts or you know, the big Academy of Magic kind of person. Um, but I like how they manage to work these various schools in. I like these schools better than the 2E spheres that they tried to do later on. Hmm. Well, 2E um, had like a College of Magic supplement as well, which they tried to do. Um, I'm not sure it had quite the same kind of flavor as the School of Magic in this particular booklet though yeah i don't either i just know i if if you're gonna do it i kind of like the way they did this Mm -hmm. and on a side note you know the whole thing feels this of the three gazetteers we've done so far this one feels the easiest to just drop in your own campaign world um i don't get a whole lot of connection with the rest of mistara in this place certainly not as much as in karamikos or emirates uh, I mean, they say that this place is, you know, well, it's it's close to Karamikos. It's over off over here. Way over but, there, but, yeah. Yeah, but you you don't need to have Karamikos. Yeah, you could drop this, I think, in most campaign worlds. But anyway, so that's mine. Number one. Yay! Number one. We're number one. <laughs> Mostly. <laughs> Mostly. Hey, Mostly. We were number one. Never mind. okay um well i'm going to say for my number one it's sort of going off of what you were just talking about mike the actual um class quote unquote the cryptomancer Mm -hmm. um out of all of the different ones that they had um i thought that was one of the the neatest ideas um, some of the, you know, the dragon masters, that kind of thing, you know, on paper, they sound really cool, but I would be very leery of allowing a PC to, you know, start ha- being able to have control over dragons. <laughs> and McCaffrey, uh, your whole universe up for you. Yeah, you know. <laughs> on the other hand, to be fair, most classic D&D dragons are not the, you know, smog monsters that are in first and second edition either so you know they are powerful but they're not you know holy crap (laughs) they're gonna eat your kingdom kind of thing (laughs) but i could see your point um something i was gonna i i forgot to mention when i was tangenting off on that i don't remember about cryptomancers but i know that the alchemists at the lowest circle seem to really kind of handle things similar to sages. Would you think that plays as well for cryptomancers? Sort of, but you've also got a built-in um, you've got a built-in thing to keep people from just tossing out runes willy-nilly. You know, the mm-hmm. more you use runes, the more there's a possibility that something bad's going to happen. Um, 
because you're basically altering the balance of nature. And um, so if you overuse runes, then natural catastrophes can happen in your vicinity, you know, like a storm or, you know, an earthquake or whatever. Right. Um, but I mean, as like a first circle guy, he would he be someone that PCs could say go to to ask to interpret these runes they found or something, you know? Like um, in the past you would use to hire a sage back in Brown Book. Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, you can, um, you can do research for runes and stuff, but the way that they're using them, at least as a class, is, you know, the runes will, you know, you can, I, you can if you know the, the real rune for something, you can identify different materials. Um, okay. You know, you can... Well, yeah, and what you would basically have hired a sage for in in Brown Book. Yeah. And, there, and there's a plot hook because all the spell casting in Galantry has to be licensed and paid for. So, you know, you have player characters who go to the licensed guy who wants to overcharge him because it's expensive to be a mage. And then there's a little back alley guy who's going to practice unlicensed and get everybody in trouble. But gold sink. But he's cheap. Yeah, gold sink. <laughs> yep, yep. All right. Anything else, Liz? I'm uh, just going to say that more or less, you know, runes are used in lieu of spells in a spell book. So if you're a low-level rune caster, you know, you can only use like one rune a day, you know, because your rune is your spell. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's in lieu of rather than. It it seems to be. Um, however, you've got it. From what I can tell from reading it, you've got a little more. I mean, there's a little bit more that you can do. You know, you can open passages. You can mend broken items. You know. Okay. You can basically you're shaping matter around you. Gotcha. Okay. Handy Jim? skills to have if you're going to mess with a nuclear reactor that's a thousand years old. Indeed, oh, yeah. <laughs> you might need that. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> okay, Jim, your number. Speaking of things that possibly go wrong, what's your number one? Every campaign i ever ran of gamma world my players at the table would have blown that city sky high there'd be a five mile crater where glanter used to be because that's how they <laughs> rolled um my number one is the spells of radiance of course i love playing magic users i love spell casting um this campaign setting comes with six new spells that are all one way or the other radiance uh derived and they were they were pretty nice i mean it's i have my personal prejudices about campaign settings where i want more content in terms of new monsters, new spells, and new things. But six is pretty good. It's better than Kiramikos and what was the second one? Emirates of Alarum. Yeah, that one. I can't pronounce. Um, it was more, yeah, more new, more completely new things, and it's it's almost like an expansion set to collectible card game. The way these spells work, they they overlay, I in a positive way. I mean, you know, they okay. they overlay the existing magic system, and. Uh, let you uh, effectively store spell points. It's not how the spells explain it, but you store up Radiance Force that you can then later expend in all kinds of cool stuff. And for listeners uh, who may not be familiar with the product, um, the Radiance is basically what they're using. It's the radiation from the nuclear plant that they're learning to harness to do new and different spells and stuff and try not to wither away while doing it, but so yeah, these when you you mentioned specific spells based on the radiance, that's 
really what's meant. Well, right. Just to name a couple of the cool ones that in some ways were forward-thinking. Uh, Control Destiny is a 7th level uh, Radiance-derived spell that lets you um, basically mulligan a roll against you, affect rolls against you, which is in many ways exactly what the luck mechanic does in DCC. That's That was a pretty innovative thing for 1987. Mm. And, and I'm sure the bane of DMs who ran this. <laughs> On the other hand, every time you use one of these spells, there's a chance that you're going to have a progressive rot, you know, go on. So, in a way, that kind of also is a built-in stopgap to try to keep people from abusing some of these big powers. And, boys and girls, that's where liches come from. <laughs> well, it certainly is here. <laughs> Another reason, good reason not to have clerics wandering around your territory. So anyway, um, all right. Well, my number one, I don't know if Bruce Hurd was ever involved in academia. But the way he's got the various uh, masters and wizards teaching at the college and everything, having to teach, grumpily teaching, you know, that, that that's – obviously he's involved in – college to a certain degree, not just going to classes, but actually dealing with the inner workings, or at least so it felt to me, because I was reading that going, yeah, okay, I've been there. Did that hit yeah. you in the fields, Professor? Did it reach yes, you? Yes, it did. Yes, it did. Yes, I've <laughs> seen that. I, I, would, I couldn't do that, but I really would have liked to in that circumstance. Uh, you can't cast fireballs at students. <laughs> not really. So, anyway... And that, this is why we game, because you can take it out on some poor Glantry mage. <laughs> <laughs> or, yeah, anyway. Okay, well, that's our top five, folks. And uh, unless there's any last comment about the main things that stand out, we'll move into random encounters. I made it. I was positive. <laughs> All right. How many people want to kick some ass? There are, there are seven ogres surrounding you. How can they surround us? I had Morton Kaiden's magical watchdog cam. No, you didn't. A satanic fungus rises from the forest floor and says, You're playing D&D. You're playing D&D. This whole apartment is playing D&D. Random encounters. I used to be a nerd. And this is Random Encounters, where Jim lets his, his fury go. <laughs> How did you know this was where I was going to break ranks? A tremor in the force. <laughs> <laughs> dun, dun, dun. So you get to start with your Random Encounter, then. I find your lack of good Random Encounters disturbing. Um, well, I mean, I, I, th I think you guys mentioned uh, off-air, you cheated too. Uh, in Random Encounters, we normally talk about a new monster or encounter location uh, that's featured in the Gazetteer. Um, this Gazetteer presented exactly three new monsters, one of which was a repeat from Kiramikos, so that was kind of lame. And encounter locations, I'm sure many people would be thrilled with the court intrigue and the back and forth of noble houses. I read through them all and couldn't find one that really thrilled me. So I wrote my own. <laughs> Okay. Based, based on the Gazetteer, the Principalities of Glantry. Um, 
my random encounter is called The Prince and the Protector. The party come upon a Galantry wizard who's losing a battle with a blue dragon, and the blue dragon has already killed the wizard's familiar, which is why he's losing. He's down hit points. Um, after the party helps the dying wizard defeat the dragon, as he's dying, he offers to teach the party magic user a new ability uh, before he passes on and teaches the guy Conjure Companion which was one of the interesting abilities in one of those schools of magic you were talking about. Uh, Conjure mm-hmm. Companion works sort of like um, Summon Familiar, except it can basically uh, summon an NPC minion who will be who can't be charmed or anything. He's completely loyal to you. In uh, my scenario, uh, should the party, the ma- party magic user try to use that new ability, he or she summons a handsome young fighter who bears an uncanny resemblance to the missing prince of the next noble house they come across court, <laughs> court intrigue ensues <laughs> that's pretty cool so bruce I, I that that's me contributing to your campaign setting you're welcome well i still maintain that the npcs we chose could be encounters all by themselves so we technically didn't cheat back me up on this list uh yeah yeah totally not cheating well yeah. i'll back you up on it so your go liz uh huh. Okay. Well, um, I chose um, one of the NPCs from the Belcadiz family, and he is Don Diego de Belcadiz. <laughs> On a side note, Spanish elves. Spanish elves. Wow, that's that's weird. That's weird. <laughs> so does he get the anyway. Spanish fly spell? Yeah. <laughs> the giant fly spell. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, some of this may start to sound a little familiar to you as I read off. Don Diego is Princess Carnelia's younger brother and El Señor Capitano of Bramira. He has been chosen by the council to oversee the horse business there because of his reputation as a gentleman. He is Donna Carnelia's champion and champions other just causes at the drop of a hat. When by the way, there's not many lawful people in this, in this realm, just to clarify. Yes, Don Diego is one of them, though. Um, and even the Donna Carnelia, who he champions, um, she's only neutral. Mm-hmm. Anyway, when confronted with a situation he cannot handle legally... He sneaks to a nearby hideout, puts on a mask and a black costume, and battles the oppressor under the pseudonym of Manuel of the Plains. <laughs> so, the rapier makes an M in everything. Yes, and carves an M in the like wall. <laughs> and is the last hardback you will ever see. <laughs> He usually steals from the rich and dishonest and gives the money to the poor, hard-working peons. He is very popular with the local population. Don Diego is also an expert on creatures of the outer plains. Of course Slides, he is. <laughs> oozes, puddings, and grubs. Because he's Manuel of the Plains. That's right. Oh, so, I just okay. got it. That's really terrible. So I, <laughs> so I read that. And it's like, oh, this is so awesome. This is mine. <laughs> Don Diego, Don Diego, riding through the night. <laughs> and this has been an accent-filled episode. <laughs> Indeed. 
So that's Glantry's Batman or Zorro there. Zorro, yes. The Zorro of Glantry, Don Diego. And now here's mine. I'll let Liz actually read it so you don't have to worry about me doing all the gappings. <laughs> but once it's described, I don't think any regular listeners of Save or Die will be surprised <laughs> that this was my choice. All right. And Mike's choice was Lord Ishan McDougall. <laughs> McDougall, an inventive and easygoing noble, was chosen to hold the other end of Skullhorn Pass because of his military expertise. He is a man ahead of his time in these matters. He helps train his troops with war games, where soldiers fight with dummy weapons and magic. He developed a great tome on war games and magic in cooperation with Jagger von Drachenfels, with who he remains on good terms. He is a dracologist of the Third Circle. Jean is a tall, athletic man with a thick, dark beard. His great taste for the local beverage is quite famous at Dunvegan. He is the Marquis of Dunvegan. Oh. Jim Dunnigan, <laughs> SPI, who wrote the complete book of war games in the 80s. <laughs> I read that and that's mine. That's my NPC. That rocks. That makes more sense. I was going to guess that the novel was an angry history professor, but... <laughs> well, well that, that's a good description of Jim Dunnigan, actually. Oh, really? <laughs> or he can be. Uh, or so I've heard. I've never met the gentleman in person, but I, I know he doesn't... I guess kind of like a lot of the old school guys, doesn't suffer fools gladly. So. You, I wish you'd said, what do you mean, angry? I'm like, then I could have said, have you met you? <laughs> um, yes, of course I have, because I'm so not a doppelganger. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a safe word I don't know about yet in the party? Uh, all right, that's our encounter. So let's zip on over to Products of Your Imagination. Zip, zip, zip. Dungeons and Dragons, power is won by finding new ways to battle. I can feel the darkness inside me. And being completely dragon-flapping awesome. Set comes with spellbook, ritual rites, playboard, sacrificial dagger, and dice, dice, dice. TSR Hobbies, Dungeons and Dragons games, products of your imagination. Where we're all dragon-flapping awesome. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Now we're going to talk about it as a product. As format, layout, lovely images behind the text. Is it available on PDF? If so, where and how much? Let's discuss. I'll start out by saying you can, of course, get this as a four ninety nine PDF at dndclassics.com. Although that... Uh, website was down this afternoon. Uh, huh. I guess drive through RPG was having a hiccup with their server, but normally you can get it there for four ninety nine. And original copies go on eBay for anywhere between thirty five and seventy bucks, depending on condition, which is pretty pricey. I, I, I stock half price books for however many years it took to get one. Before, yeah, unless before you're I a collector. That. Yeah, unless you're a collector, go for the PDF. 
I, I'm it's not a, crazy it, it, about you know mint and shrink wrap things because I'm just going to beat them up anyway. I'm going to read them and use mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. We'll put a link to the PDF in the show notes if you want to go over there and grab one. I will say the scan came out really well um, of the one from from there because it converts very nicely. Well, the typical gazetteer obsequious uh, watermark that in uh, Keramikos was that annoying blue tire. In this case, is a pale yellow hourglass, which doesn't interfere with the type nearly as much, although I still wouldn't do it myself. Yeah, yeah. Curious that it was a hourglass, too, but oh well. Well, having the radiation symbol gives it all away. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> You're right. The holy triskelion tri- of, <laughs> of the radiance. <laughs> but Liz, you're the layout queen. What do you think? Well, not bad, not bad. Um, like you said, the the image in the background is at least a pale yellow this time around. So it's not nearly as in your face as the blue tower of Karamikos. It's got pretty much the same standard layout as the other gazetteers that I've seen so far. You know, you've got the three columns, you've got box text, you've got the image in the background. Um, you know, as far as that goes, it's, you know, not just tons different. Um, I do think that their interior artist for this one was very good. Um, Stephen Fabian, I think, did the interior art. I mean, Clyde Caldwell's cover was, of course, excellent. But um, the interior art was also very nice throughout. Um, so, had, had I not been determined to be positive during the top five, one of my top five would have been, why in a DM-only product is there so much boxed read-aloud text <laughs> that you're reading to yourself as a DM? Yeah, that's true. I mean, you've... I mean, I guess it is for, you know, if you are reading to your players some stuff, but yeah, it it does kind of be it, a bit it does, weird. Yeah, it it does kind of be that makes no sense. Uh, yeah, it it does read as being you know just odd, you know, having your box text and your non-box text. But you know, if you want to read sections from the book to your players, I guess at least you know you know here's something that's probably safe to tell them. <laughs> here's seven sequential paragraphs about it to set your players up. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> Well, I will say that uh, unlike some of the other gazetteers, this um, particular product had some new categories and stuff. For instance, there's a lot of the guilds and secret organizations and everything that have alignment. And that's not for a law neutral or chaos. That's who they're aligned with or against in the political and underworld of Glantry, which is different from prior ones. I don't know if it has that in subsequent gazetteers, but I found that kind of interesting. It was definitely a handsome product in its day. I mean, it came with a, a centerfold section uh, and a folder. Yeah, more, more D&D product needs centerfolds. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, you were talking... <laughs> Never mind. So anyway... <laughs> Well, you know, when I was 18, that centerfold, never mind. (laughs) (laughs) It's not meant. That's all he's saying. Anyway. Anyway. Hit this this thing with a black light. It looks like a Jackson Pollock. (laughs) 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 Yeah, we watched Guardians of the Galaxy last week, finally. So it's like, wow. 
No black lights in that starship. Anyway, okay, well, uh, <laughs> any product uh, details we want to discuss, or do we give this thing dragons? I think no. we're ready for dragons. I think we're ready. Yeah. Okay, well, we'll start with Jim. <clears throat> Given that I personally don't <laughs> care for either campaign settings in general, it, with some exceptions, and the Gazetteer series, it, I'm just not in the target audience. Um, I'm going to give it a three, which is, you know, what's that? A C plus, B minus. That's it's average. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, and by all means, if you're if if you played this, I'm sure it has a high nostalgia factor for you. And for for what it represents itself to be, it's uh, best of class. Okay. So so well, let me let me recant. Three point five. I'll go up half. <laughs> Hippie. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> it's just because I enjoy those angry emails. <sighs> Liz? Okay. Um, there's a lot that I think could be taken from this and dropped into your own campaign with ease. I don't think that the principalities of Glantry used whole cloth would be a good fit for the kind of stuff that I like to do. But that being said, there are some cool things, and I think you could really take the whole, um, you know, the radiance, the nuclear reactor thing, you could probably take the made the capital city as a set of ruins and set it into a far, far future and make it into a Gamma World campaign. Or at least an adventure, um, you know. Or a this similar crawl classic-y type game that I've heard may be coming out sometime. Yeah, you know, and this would be this is what happened to the city after all these people used the radiance just a few too many times, and <laughs> there and, went magic. And there went magic, and you know, maybe there went the whole known world of Mistara, and it turned into you know whatever becomes. The Gamma World world. <laughs> well, see, that, that that was well stated, Liz. That's my problem with the campaign setting itself, because the, the base conceit, uh, Mike, of a sort of Vancean presentation uh, where the lines of science and magic are basically blurred to where it doesn't make any difference, I adore that. And especially in Mutant Crawl Classics, I've written a whole game that's about that. But, uh, I mean, the direction I would then take a, a premise like that would not be political intrigue between noble houses it'd be, yeah. more, be more like that android wants to murder you what do you do <laughs> well the whole political intrigue thing you know struck me as you know very you know vampire the masquerade kind of houses deal. of the blooded kind yeah of yeah yeah and um i'm not sure it's not the kind of flavor that I would want to use in my own campaign, and that's probably one section of this supplement that I would, if not throw out completely, I'd throw out at least 90% of it, because that's just not my bag. But if that kind of thing is your bag, there's a lot here for you to be able to use. Um, but getting down to the nitty-gritty, <laughs> the dragons that I would give it, you know, for my own personal use, I would probably give it, uh, I'll give it 3.75 dragons. Not quite four dragons, but there, there, there's a lot of stuff that I think is very usable in this. Okay. 
I, on the whole, I like this. Um, I liked how, you know, like I said earlier, it's kind of, I won't say hermetically sealed, but it would be very easy to drop this in a campaign world if I needed an magical academy or the political manipulations end. Um, however, as a setting, I think if you're really going to get any use out of this as a long-term product, I think you have to literally set the whole campaign in Glantry with characters being mostly magic users, et cetera, et cetera. I agree 100%. Um, I, 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 otherwise, if you're just doing it as a go-through, there's a lot of you know extraneous stuff here. Um, most of it you'll only get your money's worth on if you're running it as a based campaign there. Um, speaking of White Wolf, it might even be one of those campaigns where every player has, say, two or three characters. Every player has one magic user and then another class and different adventures. You know, it's like player one's magic user is higher, has everyone else's non-magic characters as minions or something or as meat shields and they go do a and then the next time the next person's magic user you know you see what i mean mm -hmm. you've always already got it's not like five magic users in your party and a bunch of npcs so with that limitation i will give it that was quite the preamble <laughs> well i'll give it a i'll give it a three 3.5, because frankly, you know, this is, to me, this has been the best of the Gazetteers so far. Um, I the can most agree with that I can actually get some real use out of. I mean, I suppose you could say the same thing about Emirates of Alarum, you know, unless you're going to be running a an arabesque-type game. A lot of it isn't very useful. And I'm like, well, yeah, but... You're far, especially with a lot of the modules available, you're far more likely to be going through desert areas to run into before the Lost City or Desert of Desolation or et cetera, et cetera. This one would be a very hard you know, setting. You, you would really, like I said, just have to be running the whole campaign based on Glantry and its immediate and its you know nobility. So... That would be seven, ten point seven five. So three point five something. <laughs> See, Liz messed what, it up. What are you asking me for? You know I don't math. Yeah, <laughs> Liz messed it up with her three point seven five. So three point seven five six two. Ooh. No, you're, too late. You're so <laughs> mad. You're you're hot when you're mathy. <laughs> <laughs> All, all that mathitude. And so we end another Gazetteer review episode. We murder another one. <laughs> we look forward to all of our feedback from our listeners regarding our opinions. Like it, hate it, let us know. And we will listen to it just as soon as we're done heading down that dirt road. And how are we heading down? Liz. Um... Well, I'm heading down the road through the Principality of Clantyre, 
which is known for a variety of long-haired sheep raised in this province, providing a large quantity of wool and meat. The second largest business here is lumber. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, when when did this get to be Settlers of Catan? (laughs) Hey, she didn't even mention the magic vegetable area. (laughs) The area grows grain and potatoes, some of which are used for the production of a famous local drink. (laughs) I'm going to a bar to sample that famous local drink right now. <laughs> Excellent. Wow. Jim? Uh, I'm going to tunnel down the road with my renegade dwarves towards the nucleus of the spheres because you say uh, rotting disease, I say sooner or later beneficial mutation. <laughs> and dwarves never dig too far. That's right. Which is odd because the place is so tough on shorties when dwarves would be very useful to get to the radiance. But anyway. Well, I am heading down the road as Mike Stewart normally does, completely like DM Mike in every way that no one will be able to tell otherwise that it might be a doppelganger or something. Because Which, of I'm, course, it is not. Because I am not. I am so not. Mm-hmm. What does Mike say here? Oh, yeah. See everybody at episode 114. That's not what he says. I he think you're a doppelganger. No, no. This is what Liz says. Bye bye. <laughs> bye bye. <laughs> See ya. That's what I say. Free arc. There we go. Ah, is that it? Okay. <laughs> and that's the safe word. <laughs> <laughs> wow. We're out, and thank God for it. <laughs> in association with d20radio.com. The Save or Die theme music is provided by the band Mississippi Bones. You can find them at mississippibones.bandcamp.com. All Magic users featured on tonight's episode were graduates of the Glantry School of Magic Use, not affiliated with the Glantry Broadcasting Network. Thanks for listening, and until next time... Right, I'll do you for that one. (laughs) 